I don't know about ruined. We've certainly ruined the experience of the web quite a bit. How we fix it is we make our site smaller. Welcome to World Wide Waste, a podcast about how digital is killing the planet and what to do about it. Eric Mayer is a passionate advocate of designing for humanity, of leaving no one behind when you create your design, of thinking deeply about how things work for everyone, not simply how beautiful they look. Since 1994, he has done pioneering work on HTML, CSS and web standards. He has published many books, including Design for Real Life and Cascading Style Sheets, The Definitive Guide. With Jeffrey Zellman, he founded an According to WHO, mobile traffic went up from 55% pre-coronavirus pandemic to 70% after the crisis hit. Yet the average web page has gone from about 400 KB to 4 megabyte in 10 years. A 2019 study by Back Linko found that the, the average time it takes to fully load a web page is 10.3 seconds on desktop and 27.3 seconds on mobile. Um, have we ruined the web? And if so, how do we fix it? I don't know about ruined. We've certainly ruined the experience of the web quite a bit. But just from those numbers you quoted, it takes half a minute to load the average web page on a on a mobile device, um, and that's probably on the average mobile device. Never mind people who are in lower bandwidth settings have less capable um, mobile devices. That that sort of thing. Um, I mean, how we fix it is we make our site smaller. It's I. It sounds obvious and simple and almost stupidly so, and yet that's always been the answer, right? People have been, you know, pointing this out for over the last decade. You have pointed it out, I know, and, and other people have pointed it out as well. Um, uh, Maciej Czeglowski of uh, Pinboard has done talks about this, right, where sites have become bloated in, you know, non-crisis times <laughs> where there's a lot of bandwidth and they're you know you're trying to load the, a news site to find out what the latest uh, basketball scores were or the latest football scores were um you know people could kind of shrug it off even though that wasn't really the right thing to do but now this is, i think it's throwing into sharp relief how much of a problem that can be um, you know, that that we have these bloated experiences. It's interesting, I, I, I talked, well, I, I didn't talk about that. I was in a webinar with uh, Cloudflare um, just recently, and they said in areas that have locked down, uh, where, you know, shelter in place or, uh, you know, stay at home orders, mobile traffic has actually dropped a little. And desktop traffic has gone up uh, as a share. But the total amount of network traffic almost always goes up by anywhere from ten to fifty percent, depending on um, depending on the, the the specific situation in a given urban area. So you know, this was not one of the cities that they talked about, but as an example, you know, Paris. Maybe you know the mobile traffic may have gone down, but the total like network activity might be up twenty five percent which means more, you know, there, there's less bandwidth for everyone, which means that the, our, the bigger our pages are, the slower they're going to be to load even on desktop. I mean, the, the, these desktop and mobile numbers that you talk about, those could actually get worse in this situation because, you know, people are at home and they're using quote-unquote desktop machines. I mean, a lot of that might just be streaming video, but streaming video takes up lots of bandwidth. Um, you know, it stresses the system. And so if we're trying to deliver information, we need to, if we, if we want to fix things for people, we need to be less stressful on the system by, you know, making pages smaller. However that, however you do that, like go back and if you have to go back and swap out all your images to be black and white for a while, if that's the only thing that you can improve. I mean, I, I would guess there are other things that, that could be improved, but I mean, that's a place to start.
you know you you can imagine the sense of a somebody or, or either a doctor in a in a ward in a hospital or else a you know a mother at a bus stop or something that you know trying to figure this out in under tremendous stress you know and and they're waiting 20 seconds for a page to download yeah yeah i mean i would imagine that hospital systems saw a lot of increased traffic from people just you know because they're providing information about covid-19 people are looking for information about covid-19 they're going to look at their they're probably going to look at their local hospital system at least that's how it goes where i live we have i live in cleveland ohio we have three major hospital systems just in the city which is probably a little unusual but you know people were going to the cleveland clinic or metro health or university hospitals website depending on which hospital they usually go to to you know find out like what are the symptoms like my kid has a fever does that mean they have covid-19 um i have a cough does that like what are the other symptoms to see if i just have a cough because i usually get a cough in the spring or right do i have this and and national health systems the same kind of situation i'm sure the nhs in in the united kingdom had a huge spike in traffic the who probably saw some the CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention here in, a, in the United States. Yeah, they're, instead of people who are, who are in the field, right? Instead of just epidemiologists suddenly, you know, visiting the CDC, suddenly it's everybody trying to find out, you know, like, what's, what are the, what's the latest news? Like, what, what, can, what can I learn? And, and yeah, sometimes under very stressful circumstances. I mean, there are a lot of people... I can speak only to America because I, I know it living here. I know the numbers better, but I'm, I'm sure this is the case in other countries as well. There are a number of people, there are many people in America who their only access to the internet is mobile. They don't have any sort of what we would maybe call a landline communication. They don't have broadband to the desktop in their home. They have a smartphone, right? Because they were able to get a smartphone through a two-year plan where they didn't have to pay for it up front. That's literally their only internet access. And most of the, most of the people in that situation are um, impoverished in some way, you know, economically, they, they don't have the resources that, that a lot of people do. So that's, that is their, in this situation could literally be their lifeline, right? Because my 83 year old grandparent, you know, who, who, you know, or my, my as an adult you know my adult parents live with us and one of them is starting to show symptoms i need to get information and they the libraries are closed here right there are no internet cafes those are closed too you can't go somewhere to get broadband you have your you know samsung galaxy or the google pixel or whatever that you got through your mobile provider and that's it and, you know, the, the, the cellular network is just as stressed as every other network. And so the, that 27.3 second average load time could be 60, 90 seconds. Even though people know, know it's not a good thing, there's this incredible force, invisible or otherwise, that is driving the web to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bloated and bloated and bloated. What what is this invisible force? Do you think, Eric? Um, I think it's competition to a large degree, because the more eye-catching or interactive or you know unusual you can make your website, the the greater chance you can catch the attention of consumers and their and hopefully turn them into customers i think in the commercial space it's that's that's a lot of it um so it's you know we're we're now very suddenly (laughs) in a phase where cooperation is much more important than competition and it will be interesting to see if that has any effect i mean my hypothesis could be completely off the mark um, you know, maybe, maybe we'll see a shift, but I think that's been a lot of it. And the other, I think the other half of it has been 
the same invisible force that keeps most of us from uh, exercising as much as we should and eating more than we should, which is just laziness in effect. I mean, you know, it it's easier to do things in the with the least amount of effort, right? So when you you've been told, you know, in order to catch eyes, we need the big splashy hero image. We need a big design, right? So you create that image, but you, you know, maybe you don't spend 20 minutes searching for every possible way to optimize that image down to the absolute minimum size that it could possibly be, right? You just, you save it and you're like, eh, bandwidth, you know, they'll wait an extra second it's or a half second. It's not that big a deal. Um, or we've set things up so that images are lazy loaded so that they'll get the content, but they won't, the image will, will fill in later and that's good enough you know we don't have to you know spend a bunch of time optimizing it down and you know some of the tool chains some of the tools that people use are not optimized for um you know the most efficient possible code and the most efficient possible markup and css and whatever they are for developer convenience not for user convenience jeremy keith has gone on about this too uh added a better part i say gone on about this that that might sound a little pejorative. I, I'm not dismissing him at all. He's been absolutely right um, that developer that the developer convenience should never take priority over user convenience. And and his point has been that you know if your tool is making your life easier but your user's life more difficult, and that includes through having a bloated site that takes them longer to download, then you should not be doing that. You should be figuring out how to how to make the the inconvenience on your end and not your user's end but i i feel like those are kind of the two things that are happening it's it's because when things are good right when when you're in sort of what 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 now looks like looking back what looks like the golden years right we wouldn't maybe have said that at the time but you know even two months ago you know it's like could we go back to then right um in those sort of easy years um in those easy times you know it's easy to say it'll all work out right it's i don't I don't want to think about this that hard, or I don't have to think about this that hard. Um, and now we're in a very different time. And unfortunately, all of that technical debt, that uh, that convenience debt has that, that accumulated is still with us. And it will take a lot of work to overcome that. And I don't know that everyone will do it, which is the sad part. Maybe there, there's all these wonderful stats that we're not coming across. But when you actually see a lot of these e-commerce studies that I analyze, it it indicates that, you know, the speed of the experience is a critical factor in the purchasing decision process that, you know, and the slower the site, the less you'll sell. So it seems like I agree with what your hypothesis. It's they think the eye candy is what will sell more. But the evidence in a lot of places is that, you know, a fast, really well-optimized site, not that it has no images, you know, with really good optimized product images, absolutely, and and, and stuff like that. But that sometimes you think that they're thinking that something will really improve things that actually is, is disimproving things. You know, maybe they grew up with a 70s mindset, you know, we're big billboards and, and we brought that mindset to the web and we think these huge, big, catchy attention things actually sell. And I'm sure they do in certain places, but I, I, I think there's a lot of other, other evidence that's saying, well, actually, if you don't get the speed right, if you don't get that fast uh, download experience, you're going to lose a lot of customers. Yeah, well... I'm, I'm going to bring in something uh, that, that you've talked about, Jerry, which is institutional ego, right? If it doesn't look good, how can we feel good about ourselves? And if we don't feel good about ourselves, like what's, you know, how will our customers feel good about it? You know, Amazon has made it their mission to be as fast as they can be. And it's obviously done very well for them, but, you know, um, the next person who wants to be Amazon can't be you know like they can't look like amazon so they have to look like something else and i think the ego comes in i mean we're 
we are egotistical creatures almost by definition, um, <laughs> right? And so it's got to be the, not only does it, you know, fast is good, but, you know, really, really awesome, like great looking, you know, that is, that becomes as important, right? The, it, it becomes a, a question of, am I proud of, you know, are we proud of what we have created? And the pride gets invested in things like, you know, is it an amazing fast, you know, is it an amazing sort of user design experience and not investing pride in we shaved 20 milliseconds off of our average load time this week, which sounds like nothing, right? <laughs> and yet, if you do that every week, you know, 20 milliseconds here, 20 milliseconds there, pretty soon you're talking about real time saved. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right there. And I think I think a lot of organizations, they think they're building a Ferrari, but really they're building a tractor. <laughs> you know, like to the customer, it, it looks and feels like a tractor, but they think they've built a Ferrari, you know, you know, because, you know, if you had a Ferrari that, that you know, when you put the, the, uh, the foot to the pedal, it, its maximum speed was 30, 30 miles an hour <laughs> you wouldn't be you wouldn't be very impressed by it and but that's a kind of the experience that a lot of sites have. but okay let, let's maybe move on or expand from that like one of the things i mean this was a kind of a, a damascus moment for me or road to damascus or whatever it was i'd never and maybe this sounds incredibly stupid, uh, but it was about a year or, or 18 months ago that I had this dawning realization that everything in digital consumes energy and that, and that energy pre creates pollution. And that, you know, that, that the sense of, I, I, I knew there was a problem with web pages and Excel, but you know, it was an experience. I never thought that, that, that um, that actually these sorts of issues were actually a contributor to global warming. I used to think, you know, uh, hey, I'm, I'm really lucky. Oh, this global warming is a is a uh, is a big thing, and you know, and I'm really lucky that I work in the web industry and in digital because if everyone became digital, we wouldn't have a global warming problem. You know, that was the way I kind of. I approached the world in the sense of I just had this feeling that digital was inherently green. And then the more I started doing calculations, like I did calculations around the web pages, that if you download, if you have an average of a four megabit page, um, downloading that page 600,000 times essentially creates about 10 kg of CO2. Mm. And that's a, a, and a typical, an average tree can absorb about 10 kgs of CO2 a year. So if you, if you wanted to, you know, deal with the pollution of, of your pages, so to speak, you'd have to plant one tree for every 600,000 times that page has been downloaded in, in the process. And, 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 you know, when you think, I, I, I analyze, is about 2 trillion you know, uh, Google searches a year. And that would be the equivalent to deal with the pollution that that causes, even though they, they're they very, very optimized, you know, Google data centers, etc. It's still the equivalent of having to plant 19 million trees. Wow. And e-commerce returns, right? E-commerce returns in the US mm. alone uh, takes 200,000 trees. Now, I'm not saying planting trees. It takes 200,000 trees worth of, of cardboard every year, right? And to deal with the whole e-commerce return environment, which is three times bigger than traditional returns, you know, walking into a Macy's or whatever, you'd need to plant over a billion trees. Wow. Yeah, it's it's been interesting to see uh, the the trade-offs that happen because I, I think your initial I think your first instinct was not a hundred percent misplaced yes did I mean I'm not in any way disputing your numbers I'm 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 shocked but not surprised <laughs> I think is the phrase that it's you know so much 
energy consumption and therefore, um, you know, need, you know, how much you would need to offset. I mean, you know, in some ways, digital does have that promise of reducing pollution. We've, we've seen it with this, with the lockdowns, right? Like taking cars off the road, like the commutes that you see in, in the United States or, or elsewhere, uh, you know, just reducing the amount of driving that people do, uh, reducing the amount of industrial output um, has had huge effects, like huge beneficial effects on things like carbon output. Um, now, it, you know, we don't have a world that's structured to do this permanently, like long-term, right? Um, that would take a lot more than, than one pandemic <clears throat> to, to put us permanently in this state. You know, I mean, the, the thing is that once the, you know, hopefully once there's a vaccine or, you know, once this is behind us, let's let's think optimistically here um in you know six months or 12 months or 18 months or 24 months or whatever it takes um you know the it, it's it's not as though we'll be permanently in the state we'll we'll then go back to what we were doing before which is all of the all of the sort of pollution and co2 output that that isn't happening while we're all in lockdown will happen again and digital will still be contributing to that problem and yeah i mean the less energy we can consume the better yeah it, it, it's a, it's a little weird and it's a thing i've been trying to teach my children which sometimes they get and sometimes they don't which i understand because sometimes i get it and sometimes i don't which is that you know the electricity doesn't come from nowhere right some something had to produce it and thus far our energy production infrastructure has a lot of output, has a lot of secondary effects, which are negative. You know, if we could somehow wave a magic wand and have all of our energy, all of our electricity produced by wind, solar, you know, and, and other quote unquote renewable resources, we'd be in a much better place. Although you do have to factor in the pollution outputs in producing all of those solar panels and those wind turbines and, and uh, tidal generators and, and things like that. But you know, over the long term, it becomes an investment that's worth making. But yeah, we. It, it. I think it's. I think it is useful. I think it will be very useful to present to people in terms of you know, if your website is this size and you get this many downloads in a year, this is how many trees you would have to plant just to offset the CO two. Never mind, you know, whatever other secondary effects there are from your from your particular electricity generation you know if it's if it's coal plants then all the coal dust that comes out um hopefully most hopefully that's not the case for for most people although you know i don't i don't know you probably know way better than i do but yeah i mean even you know i'm i'm i am a proponent of nuclear energy for the most part um because it has effectively no pollutive effects except of course for all the radioactive material that you have to figure out where to put. <laughs> um, then now there are there are ways around it, and you, somewhat we, we, we this isn't a place to talk about all that. But um, you know, I've I've been a proponent for years because it's it's a damn sight better than most of our electricity production, right? And if if it helps get us if it helps us get from you know carbon intensive to non carbon intensive. Um, I'm 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 largely in favor. I know there will be people listening who will not be happy with me having that position, but that's you know sometimes you don't have good choices. You just have to pick the least bad choices. Yeah, yeah. I'm you know I've taught. I mean, and it's a it's a different debate. But I I, I think there's a good logic. There's a there's a logic and a, a rationality at play in in that uh, debate. And and yeah, like. As you said to your children, you know, electricity doesn't come from nowhere, and and you know, and and of course, yeah, we see the the maps of the smog clearing and and stuff like that, and 
so digital should be, or digital has this capacity. But you know, I, I did analysis of of video conferencing, and, and um, um, so absolutely, uh, you run a video conference between two people. Um, that's in the equivalent of uh, driving. That's like uh, driving a couple of hundred yards. You know, you'd you'd consume as you'd create as much pollution in driving a, co a couple of hundred yards as in running a one-hour video conference. However, you know what happens is, yeah, if it's if it's standard video, if it's yeah, but then if you got a high-definition video, well, you, you've multiplied it by three, you know, but still it's from a very low a, a very low factor, yeah. But so so it's still much much better. But then, but then what about if you store the video? Uh, okay, so you know, and if you really if you store it for years and then uh, etc. Well, supposing now there's eight people on the call because it's just easier to join a meeting. You know, then then and there's only two uh, in the traditional meeting, let's say. And I've often seen that happen. I've seen you know virtual meetings with fifty or a hundred people. I've often working with larger organisations in in the process. And then, supposing you're in a room and you decide to have two huge big screens, you know, sixty-inch uh, Samsung screens or whatever you want for for projecting uh, the faces and etc. All of a sudden what was a tiny fractional thing begins to just get a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and it's while it's still better all of a sudden you've you've a lot more activity and then you've a ton more meetings and everyone and then uh, in a hidden way uh, digital begins to start building up from being a very good scenario to being less good of a scenario uh in, and I think it always seems to happen in digital. I think we do more, you know, you know, we do more, we, we store it, we store it and we never get rid of it. So we've got, we've got gigabits of meetings, you know, multiple terabits of meetings and nobody's looked at them in, in, you know, a year or two years and they're still being stored in the cloud. You know, so so there's behaviours. I think if we could do this right, digital absolutely. But but we always overdo, don't we? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> we, we do. We always overdo. Um, and, you know, I mean, without overdoing, I guess sometimes you, you can't really learn. But at the same time. I think we learn the wrong lessons, right? We learn how to how to do this thing more efficiently for us, and it becomes less efficient for the system. There, there hasn't. We don't really. We don't. Well, I mean, we don't really talk about it. You're you're starting to talk about it, which I think is fantastic. Um, and uh, you know, I think a few people have have made the point here and there over the years that hey, you know, this all costs something in electricity or or, or what whatever. But yeah, we don't we don't really talk about what are the what are the downsides? Like what are the consequences? Not consequences in the sense of like justice system consequences. Just what are the consequences, right? Sometimes consequences are positive. Sometimes you do a thing and it it multiplies in a good way and sometimes you do a thing and there there are negative, you know, second order effects. You know, humans this make me despair and they amaze me in equal quantities you know and so sometimes yeah. sometimes i think oh we never change and then i think well over generations we do in one way we're, we're we're not adaptable at all another way we're we're quite adaptable so i think the way we approach our physical world how we're sorting our waste how we're becoming more conscious of organic food or or this sort of stuff you know i think that consciousness has has risen a lot and if we could if we could bring the same consciousness, the same sense into digital. And I just want to give you an, an example of that, maybe of thinking that I asked you to listen to uh, three audio files of, of the same recording uh, before this session. And you said you didn't hear any difference, essentially. And, and, and I've asked a, lo a lot of people uh, to do this. And, and 99 out of 100 have said didn't hear any difference, right? So uh, two of them were identical. So file A and B were identical. So identical in the sense of they were created uh, in WAV format. 
and I, I edited them in WAV format and then I saved them to an MP3. So it was it was identical, right? The third one was created in MP3, was edited in MP3, and was saved to MP3. Now, an audio file would be having a palpitations, minor heart attack at the moment, and they'd be saying, you can't edit an MP3. Don't you know uh, WAV is a lossless format and that MP3 is compressed and, you know, yeah, I know all that. I've been involved in this sort of stuff for a long, I know all that, and I believe that, you know. And, but then I said, let me do an experiment. Because I started reading, because the, the, the philosophy I've tried to adapt or tried to build into my brain is, what's the lightest option to get the job done? You know, what's the lightest option to get the job done? So I know if you were creating a, a song where you've got 60 tracks with all sorts of instruments, yeah, MP3 would be terrible for that because it clips and do, does all sorts of messy things. But if you're just doing podcasting, you're doing pretty basic editing. You're not doing much sophisticated stuff. And there's typically two voices or, or, or more. So I, I decided to just do it in MP3. And, say, and, and most everyone I've shown it to has said, I don't hear a difference. So well, what does that mean? Well, it means that I can start um, recording in MP3, which means my file will be 10 times smaller. You know, instead of, you know, 150 megabits or whatever it'll be, 15 or whatever it'll be. And that'll have all sorts of small roll-on effects in where I store it, etc. In, in the processes. And, you know, I think, could we get that sort of thinking that, can we go for the lightest? Okay, this is more. This is more perfect. But sometimes nobody can hear perfect, or 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 we've got an eight K screen. Yeah, but nobody can see the difference between an eight K and a four K screen. Why are we doing this? Yeah. Uh, so here's actually uh, a question. I don't know if you've looked at this. Is there a notable difference in the amount of CPU activity that has to happen when you're recording MP3 on the fly versus recording to a WAV on the fly? Well, that's, I don't know, maybe. That, that's a good, I actually hadn't dug into that because you'd assume that if the processor has to handle 150 megabits rather than handling 15, you'd yeah. assume there's there's less stress uh, on, on, the pro, on the processor. Uh, you know, but you know, these are, the, I, I don't know the, and maybe not, right? But the, aren't these important questions we begin to ask yeah. about, you know, oh, yeah. is there a more energy efficient way? We say, oh, close the window, don't let the heat out. You know, mm. we, we never kind of say the equivalent of that in, in digital. Like, you know, I wonder, could we, you know, how could we design, like Toyota did an amazing thing with their website. They created they, they created this orb this this light based orb about a, a twelve inches in diameter L looks like a looks like a UFO right and mm -hmm. they connected it up to their web metrics and but the web metrics connected with page download speed so they set a target that all their pages across their twenty six European sites or whatever number of sites that they've got needed to all download an average in three seconds or however or number of seconds and once that target was met, the orb would would be white. But if something happened in Latvia or Germany or Italy and the server went down or it really slowed and uh, uh, the, the orb would begin to change color until it would become red. So they, and what that did is it changed the whole conversation within the HQ about speed. People would be coming up to the manager and saying to her, "Hey, I." They they give the orb a name. They call him Frank or something like that. Frank <laughs> Frank's getting a bit red. I wonder what's happening. You know, and they became. So she had been for ten years banging the table about speed, and couldn't get any people to take her seriously or really listen to her but when she started visualizing these things and people could see oh it's it's getting red <laughs> you know mm. and if we could somehow say do you really need wav actually you're doing podcasting well you know 99 percent of podcasts you can't really hear the difference if you edit an mp3 why not go mp3 and say go mp3 save a tree 
<laughs> I don't know. Nice. You know. That works works a little bit better in Irish, I think. I know, but, I know. <laughs> us that can't pronounce our THs and, and, and stuff like that. But, you know, can, yeah. can, can we as designers, you know, begin to think about designing for energy, you know, and designing for... I know it's, I, I'm still struggling and scraping at this. I don't know if it sounds crazy, but, you know, is there a, a road we can build or a model we can, where, where we, we can develop a digital environmental consciousness? Yeah, I mean, I would love to see it. And I don't, I don't know the answer to your question. I mean, I, I, think, I think it's possible. I'm not sure I know how to get there, but I would, yeah, I would love to see it. If there's a, you know, if tool vendors could be convinced to build a, a frank effectively into their into their uh, interface so that you know it's it, it it warns you when you're starting to your project files are starting to build up past a certain point or you know what it, I, I I'm kind of making stuff up as I go here but yeah I mean having having that awareness uh, you know the the we talk about the weight of a page and it usually just means, you know, how many bytes is it, you know, but the, the, you know, the energy, the energy weight, the, um, yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure. Did the, how much did, did the, how much does the, not just the, you know, serving of a page, but the, the, the creation of it and the, all that, like how much, how much does that consume? Like what? What is the consumption level of this? Not just you know creating this page and then serving it over and over again over a network. I like. I, I feel like. I feel like it would be relatively easy to add this sort of thing to, like corporate, internet presence dashboards, whatever you want to call them. You know, like you've. Um, uh, I think Etsy. I think it was Etsy, maybe, maybe it was Pinboard. But anyway, the, the places you've probably seen where people put up a, a status board on the, on, the, on the wall of the open office, right? That, you know, shows, well, this is our average download speed in America, and this is our average download speed in Europe and in Australia, and so on and so forth. So that everyone can see, like in big numbers, like our average speed is now 3.9 seconds, and we, we want it lower, right? Um, to, to adapt, so, you know, especially with the kind of research you're doing, it should be easy to at least make a rough estimate to say, you know what, we've served because, you know, doing the background, okay, so our page is this, you know, we served up this many bytes, like literally, just this is how many bytes we served. And so we're going to multiply all that together and up on the status board, it's going to say, we served a small deciduous forest worth of offset planting. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Or, no, th I mean, that that's great. Yeah. You know, or, or uh, you know, put it on a map. That's like, you know, we would have to convert this much la land around the headquarters, like the office building where we're sitting, into nothing but forest, in order to, you know, have offset the you know, what we've done for the year. You know, maybe that's not the right visualization, but you, you get where I'm going. No, I think uh, well, I, I mean, absolutely, and 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 um, you know, these are the this is the thinking that that we need. So, so just in relation to, I mean, you, you you've got such a breadth of knowledge in so many areas, but you're kind of uh, the Zen master or whatever, or the, in the whole CSS space, or the the, the you know, the, the, is there anything in there that that you think is there any way you know any approach that you think in 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 the area that you 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 are a master of that 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 you could envisage somehow you know because like i know i've no depth in this but i see that from what i read or whatever that that css has bloated as well in many, many not the stuff that you create but that you know that that, that in so many other Areas. Is there any way that somehow the, uh, an environmental consciousness could come into CSS? In and, and maybe that's mad or crazy or or does that, any sort of triggers there that somehow could could nudge good behavior or something or? Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. To me, at a at a first thought. Uh, I would have to reflect on this more deeply. And I, honestly, I would need to, 
get a better handle on on where the energy sinks are in around CSS. So uh, as an example, so w w I've been working on sort of in my free time um, over the past few months, I've been picking at uh, a redesign and uh, I wrote it as just one CSS file for the whole site. Um, even though parts of the site don't use major portions of that CSS file, right? So uh, I was doing that in the development phase. Um, and then what I did, uh, actually right around the time lockdown started happening, was I had gotten to the point where I, I took a chunk of it and I had moved it to a separate file that would only be loaded by pages that needed it. All right, so if you, if you hit the site on the home page, maybe it would load you know, two or three style sheets. But if you hit one of the sub pages that didn't need this, this, these styles that I moved to a separate file, then you would just have to download sort of like the core style sheet, which is, I mean, that's, a, that's an approach people use now for developer convenience to try to keep track of, okay, you know, where are the styles, right? If I need to edit the blog portion of, you know, the styles for the blog portion of the site, then I go to this style sheet because it's only loaded when you hit blog pages or, you know, if I need to update the, the, um, the, the, uh, uh, the video pages, right? I, I'm gonna put all the video styles into just that, just that style sheet that only gets loaded by those pages. And, you know, with local caching that, that can be, that can work out really well because um, browsers will typically, you know, they'll they'll download that page that CSS file once, and then they won't have to download it again. They can they can grab it locally. But you know, I did I consume a lot of energy during my development in making the browser constantly have to parse the entire style sheet again and again and again. Like you know, some someone would say, "Come on, that was milliwatts per reload." But okay, milliwatts. Oh, yeah, but it up, right. <laughs> Uh, well, if 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 we've got one point seven billion websites yeah. out there and you know and growing and but put it this way, uh, well, it, the example you've given is you've been you've been doing this either subconsciously before I asked you this question. You've been wh whatever you you cut you, you separated that whatever logic drove you, it was also an environmentally friendly logic because mm. because let's say let's say the the compiled page takes 10 of energy we don't and let's say 10 10 10 of units right 10 units of energy let's not talk about milliwatts per hour or whatever and cutting it up into 10 pieces and sectioning it off when they need it well um when you've got to that sub page it's taking one right. So you've saved nine. Now it might be nine milli 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 millis, yes. you know, yeah. but it's still nine. You know, it's still. And when right. you, when we're when we get scale, like if you've only got ten visitors, yeah, whatever. It was it wasn't worth the effort. But if you if you scale that thinking and you're talking about millions of pages and you know, WHO is is dealing with millions of visitors a day. You know, at the moment, and and maybe they're a bad example, but there's many websites, and there's a lot of track where there's huge volumes happening, and and you know, and if we could get that culture of thinking of, you know, just not not throwing the kitchen sink at it when you just need the teaspoon. Yeah, yeah you yeah, know, absolutely. And it would be it would be interesting to know. See, this is where this balancing has to come in, and I don't know what the balance is. I don't think anybody does. Is the Okay, so I have a style sheet that the serving of it to a user takes up 10 energy. And even if I just split it into two pieces, right? So it's each one takes five, which is when I, when I split the style sheet I was working on, it was roughly in half. Um, you know, like the, the, the processor demands on, on the browser because browsers do a lot of work. It's not all on the server. Um, and the, the, the network, uh, you know, requirements, the, the transferring data from place to place to place, you know, how does that all balance out? Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe there are situations where keeping it all in a single style sheet is actually a, a, a small net win because it gets, it gets loaded once and it takes this many packets on the network and then it's locally cached. And then there are others where splitting it up into two pieces or 10 pieces or whatever is, is much more of a win, right? That's, 
that's I think what what I would struggle to keep track of in my head, right? That that's where we kind of need tools to be able to to do a little analysis and say, hey, you know, if you split this file into two, given you know how much each file would be used, you would you would save two units of energy. But the you know, which you might say, oh, that's only twenty percent. Twenty percent is pretty good. Um, and you know some some of the other things that that I that I've been thinking about. One of the reasons I haven't launched this design publicly is that um, in order to make some of the visual effects, I did some pretty heavy duty layered backgrounds with where I was like interleaving images with gradients with other gradients with um, sort of masks that are gradients, but they're not they don't create visual gradients and. Uh, I'm pretty sure that mobile devices will struggle with those. Um, I haven't tested it because I don't, the site's not public, but one of the reasons, one of the things I've, I, I was thinking I needed to do um, at right, you know, after I split the style sheet was to figure out ways to make those less processor intensive, right? So they won't drain as much battery on a Google Pixel or a, a, you know, an iPhone SE that somebody's hanging on to for the last few years. Um, so the battery's a little wonky because they've, you know, they've had it for three or four years and mobile device batteries for some reason just get wonky after a few years, which is a whole other area of waste that I'm not happy about. But moving on, um, right, the, just this idea of, okay, I, I need to make this more user-friendly. And I wasn't thinking of it from from the perspective of I need to reduce my carbon emissions, although, as you say, I probably should have been. Um, I was just thinking of it from the perspective of, I don't want my page to be shaving 1% off of somebody's battery every time they hit a page, right? 10 pages, I've taken 10% off their battery. Um, that to me is just not acceptable. You know, even looking at it from a user, I hate it when sites do that to my phone, right? So I don't want to do that to somebody else's phone. Um, you know, I did a lot of image, image optimization. That was my first stop um, because I had pages that were in development were like a meg and a half. And um, I had a lot of PNG files. I think they're all PNGs, just about. And so I took those. First, I ran them through ImageOptim, which is a pretty common tool people use to optimize images. Um, first of all, when you throw a PNG at, at ImageOptim, uh, it slams my processors. Like four of my processor cores just go to 100%. And it takes, it can be 30 or 60 seconds before ImageOptim figures out even one PNG. And it usually will save about 10% of the image size, which is nice. But then I took those same images, like the originals, into Acorn, which is an image editor, kind of like Photoshop, but it's a, it's a um, indie, sort of an independent company that, that does it. Um, and I've, I've really enjoyed it, but I, I took the images into there and I did the save for web um, function, where in, in Acorn, and I'm sure other tools do this as well, but I, I know Acorn, so I'm going to talk about. There's a there's a slider for the bit depth of your of your PNG, and it starts at like two to the sixty fourth or something, right? Like the, every possible color that could possibly be rendered in long integer uh, um, values is 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 represented. But then I started dragging the slider down until I got to the point where it started dithering the images. Um, so it got a speckly pattern, and that might be at like eight bits, uh, eight eight uh, eight bit bit depth. Then I would I took it up a, a, a one notch on the slider at that point, so that it stopped dithering, and then I would save the file. I was literally getting ninety five percent file reduction size. So my pages that used to be a meg and a half, at least locally, are now three or four hundred kilobytes total, right? And the automated tool that I had relied on for a long time, and and which, in fairness, is very good at JPEGs, right? Very quick, doesn't slam the processors. You know, in a couple of seconds, it's done, and you can get like 50% um, optimization. But by hand tuning these, just changing the bit depth, right? I would, you know, it was it was saving them out at three percent of the size of the original, and then. You know, I could adjust the size down so that it wasn't four thousand pixels wide; it was a thousand pixels wide, or whatever, and that would that would save more as well. But this, right? If I 
if I weren't, if I hadn't been so invested in, let's make this as lightweight as possible for the user in order to improve their user experience. Right? That was just that was the only thought in my head, just to improve their experience. I might not have gone to that level. Right? I might not have. I might not have tried to figure out, hey, is there another way that I can make these things smaller? Because you know, I had a 500 kilobyte PNG, and then Image Optimal was like, all right, now it's 470 kilobytes. All right, that's better than 500. But I was like. Isn't there a way I could do better? And it turned out there was. Um, yeah, and so now, you know, having talked to you, I'm like, oh, not only that, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm not being as wasteful, right? It's well, you're not being as. And one thing I was thinking there, is, and, and sometimes they can be in harmony, which is wonderful, is you talk about the user experience, and I, I was thinking that. Yes, I've promoted that a lot over the years, but also we should have the earth experience. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, what's the user experience? Oh, it's good. And what's the earth experience? Mm. And sometimes they're in sync, which is great. Uh, but, you know, sometimes there may be a contradiction. You know, the user wants this and it's not so good for the earth. But in, in, in a great world, you know, the earth experience and the user experience are in sync and the business experience. But yeah. that we should consider the earth experience in our design thinking, which inadvertently, accident, well, maybe not. I, I think you've done it because you're that type of person. <laughs> you're not, you know, that, it's the way you live. I know you, you, you kind of how you approach your life. You know, you may not have articulated it, but you have a philosophy. You have a way of living that I kind of led you down that path in a way, whether you knew it or not, consciously, whether you had articulated it consciously, the type of nature of the way you behave and the way you live meant you were more likely to want to do that sort of thing. If you know what I mean, I don't know if, if that makes yeah, sense. Maybe, maybe. I, I think it also coming from the pre-internet days, right? When everything, you know, 1200 baud modem or less, you know, when every byte counted and the early internet when, you know, 56 kilobit per second speeds was astonishingly fast. Right. Um, uh, or, you know, you might, if you were super lucky, you might be in a situation where your organization had a T1 line, right? Which I have way better than a T1 line to my house today through fiber. Um, but yeah, coming up from that where like every bite counted, right? Um, I think, I think that's, I, I would probably. But you haven't lost that. Right. I, I would, there's loads of people. I would, I would credit it. I would credit that more. I think, I mean, I appreciate what you said about my way of living. And I do, I try to live, you know, I don't live as minimally as I could, I'd, certainly, but I, I, I try not to be too too over over burdensome. Can we, you know, somehow ingest that back into all these younger developers and who are passionate and who are out marching for climate change, right. you know, you know, and why, because it's the young generation that's driving the, the, the need to address climate change. And yet, you know, they're often not as conscious of the impacts of them constantly being on their smartphone, yeah. you know, in, in this and, and uh, area and, and a kind of somehow, you know, bringing this thinking that is bubbling under. Uh, um, one other area I know you've written about it recently uh, about the static mm -hmm. sites. You know the 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 thing of for years I used to talk about that, and then I stopped talking about. It. Then I noticed my my sites were all dynamic, not that I've got big sites or anything like that, but from a database. And I thought, but didn't I? Why 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 do I have dynamic sites? How did this happen? I mean, I used to always say static was better, and then. I went back to the, my developer, the guy who looks after us, and says, how come they're all, um, you know, dynamic? And uh, he said, oh, should ask the way every all sites are now, you know? And and uh, so then we did an experiment and, you know, it just says, well, load two page, page one dynamic, one static. And the, the dynamic one was taking four and a half seconds to load and the static one was taking 2.7 seconds to load. And I said, I don't need dynamic pages. <laughs> you know, I've got, I'm, I'm not in the dynamic business. And so, so we brought them all. It's still in a database, but it's, you know, it produces, it produces static pages. So, you know, 
and you talk a little about your, you know, or what drove you to come to that realization as well, or to talk about it or write about it. Yeah, I mean, it's really the present circumstances. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 because you know networks network demand is going up very quickly, um, and in a lot of cases, people need information as quickly as they can get it with as little drain on their time, energy, and resources as they can get. And yeah, I mean, my site is partly dynamic. Uh, it's a half a WordPress blog and half, the rest of it is hand built um, to the extent that it's, that any other page is dynamic. It's, you know, I use PHP to create a static page generally um, if, if I have to load some dynamic data. Um, but about about half the site, I would say, is is static. Um, and when I say, but I mean, the reason I said get static <laughs> is for the exact experience you had, right? Which is the static site is faster because literally all the server has to do is say, you want these files? Pfft, here they are. Instead of you want these files? Okay, I have to construct those files and now pfft, here they are, right? Um, so it's it's much less of a burden on the server. Um, you know, whatever machine the server is. And if it, if you're in the cloud, you're on somebody else's computer. I mean, that's what the cloud is, right? Um, so, you know, it's, it's less of a demand on the, on the server that's serving up the page. It, it's, it's a very simple look up the file, load the file, send the file, or look up the file in the cache, send it out of the cache, right? And so getting, getting static sometimes can mean just being really aggressive with your server caching, right? So my, my WordPress section of my site, you know, someone sort of poked at me and I looked at it and I was like, well, I have caching turned on. Actually, I didn't. I had turned it off at some point and forgotten. So I turned it back on. So what that means is, you know, the, the server is maintaining static copies of pages locally in a cache and just, it sends those out. So it's much faster now. Uh, it's much, um, and it's much less server intensive. And then if the page gets updated, then the cache gets updated, right? So that, I mean, that's a, that's a first step. Right, cache aggressively. If if like some sites, it'll be the well, we cache, but we don't cache this area of the site because it's so dynamic. Right, it, it updates every minute or whatever. It's like yeah, no, start caching those areas too. Um, and if you can render things down to pure static, so that you don't even have to worry about the cache so much, great. I mean, I understood not every page can be that. Right, um, if you're the WHO and you're serving up COVID-19 maps, that's harder to make static. You can make it static, um, but then that requires more, um, you know, sort of a, you have to set up a regular script to update the static. And, you know, for all I know, maybe that would be more resource intensive than just having the dynamic map. It sort of depends on, you know, how many people are using a given resource, but it's time to look at that stuff. And it's time to look at that stuff because, we're in very unusual circumstances. People are stressed as it is, and we don't have any business stressing them further by offloading our developer convenience on to them, right? We don't, we don't, we never had business doing this, but people could kind of wave it away in the past. Now, like you have no excuse, you have no business prioritizing your convenience over theirs. Even if that means we have, you know, what we're doing this week is we're rebuilding this section of the site so that it's more performant. And we had always sort of ignored it before because it felt quote unquote performant enough. Like that doesn't cut it anymore. And I'm going like, you know, like I said, I might've launched this redesign except performant enough doesn't cut it anymore. And when I, when I do launch this redesign, it's gotta be as performant as I, you know, feel I can make it. And if it's still not performant enough, I'm not launching that redesign until things are less stressful, things are less critical. Um, and I'll probably, you know, I'll be, I'll be reducing, you know, I'll be uh, reducing isn't the right word. I'll be converting more of my site to be static. You know, I might make the homepage static right now it's cached, but it still comes out of WordPress. Um, I may switch that over, probably will switch it over to just be a, a static copy of the of the homepage. And then I will update it manually every time I publish a new blog post if I have to, if that's what it takes. 
right? I mean, ideally, I could I could make it uh, perform in, you know, I could, I could get it to the point where I didn't have to do that, where if when I push a button to publish a new post, then it also triggers a script that updates that static page. But if I can't, then I just do it manually. Like, I, you know, and that's not ideal. It's not something that scales over the long term, but if that's what it takes right now, then that's what it takes. I might have to do it for individual post pages as well. I'm, I'm, the last I checked, the caching was was more than covering. I my download speeds were something like 0.1 seconds or something like that, or the rent the page serving speed. Excuse me, not not the download speed. The page serving was you know a tenth of a second, and then it was you know up to the network. But again, you know, I need to I need to go back into my archives and I need to look at the images that I put on on old posts to like make them look nicer and find out if they can be further optimized. Like I, I know I optimized some of them at the time, but if I can do better, I need to replace them with those better copies. See a final question, um, and partly you, you've answered it, it in, in multiple ways, but say from a web development and design perspective, it, it, what's, what's the biggest thing you've learned from this moment in time, this very stressful uh, moment, this crisis, this this pandemic, that 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 you think you might bring into the the next period, you know, when we get through this, that you know won't be isn't just the thing you've learned for to to survive now, but something that that you think that you know, hey, I should have been this taught me something that I really should have been really thinking about before as well and and I'm going to try and keep thinking about this even when things get back to quote unquote normal. Uh I think it's I think it's the stuff we were talking about that um you know even if even if I was being unusually conscious of the burden that I was placing on users I've already identified places where I could have been doing better and I wasn't because I was being lazy about it, right? I was I was letting it go. He said, well, I, I ran that image through Image Optum. That's good enough, right? And I didn't think to myself, well, let me take it into a more um, you know, sort of more customizable, more powerful um, editing suite to see if I can get that down even further. Um, you know, it's the make sure your caching is turned on. It's um, you know, figure out where you can make things, you know, uh, lighter and, and better without, you know, it, it doesn't all have to, we don't have to go back to 1993 and have it all be unstyled pages. Although in some cases, you know, if I discovered that I was, I had a page that people were depending on critically, like, you know, for a life and death sort of thing, I would absolutely consider going back to no CSS. Here's your information, right? Um, you know, no images, except, you know, if, if it's necessary, you know, if I, if I had a page that was, here's what, you know, if, if we have end up with a COVID 21, right. And, and, and it, and it creates a skin rash. Okay. Here's a picture of the skin rash. That is critical information. That, that's there, critical. Right. Yeah. But you don't, you don't need somebody blowing their right. nose. Yeah. I don't, I don't need the hero image. I don't need the concerned doctor talking to a patient. Right. That's gone. Right, and maybe I have a couple of styles literally embedded in the page to make, you know, to make the background color be the the institutional color and the text to be in Helvetica instead of Times, right? But I'm not serving up a big style sheet that like makes everything look look super beautiful and it's loading custom fonts and that sort of stuff, right? If people need to know, like, well, you know, is this the skin rash or is this are these the symptoms? And it's getting hit so hard that the page load is dropping. That cut out, cut out the stuff, right? It, you you can have a plain text link that gets them back to the rest of the site if they need to. You know, you go down to, yeah, this page looks like it came from 1996, but guess what? Pages in 1996 were 10 times lighter than they are now. Um, here's the critical information, and get that page load as low as possible. Now, I don't expect anything like that on my personal site. But I need to be paying more attention, and that's that's the sort of thing I think I'm going to be more strident about. I'm going to be more hardcore about. You know, th there there was a I had a certain attitude of, well, this is what you should do. But I understand if if you're you know you have situations where 
you have a situation where you, you can't make that happen today. Like, think about it for the future. Now it's going to be more, you know what? Do it. Get forgiveness later. You don't, you, we don't have any excuse, you know, not doing these things appropriately and paying more attention to what kind of resource consumption, what kind of time consumption we are, uh, we're, we're incurring, right? You know, it's, if suddenly the entire world is coming to your site and your page load times have dropped, get it, like, get it down to static. You know, the CEO's press release updates can wait this week, you know, because suddenly everyone's here and they need this information. Um, you know, we, we can, we can, we can release our, we can, we can do the press release about how we're concerned about the community next week. Right. When, when, when we don't have this level of traffic, um, right now, the way we show concern for the community is serving the community, not telling them that we're serving them, which is a thing you've talked about before. It gets back to institutional ego. Um, but yeah. You know, it, it's it's really there, there's a there's a service aspect that I think large portions of the industry doesn't adhere to, except at a surface level. There's a lot of lip service paid to serving the user, and I'm not going to say everyone. You know, I'm I hopefully people listening to this will say, well, that's not me. I'm glad. I I I hope that you're spreading that that way of thinking. Um, but I think there is a lot of 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 the industry where it's the we need to improve the business metrics. And so if that also means improving how we do things, you know, from a performance standpoint, then okay. But, it, you know, sometimes the business metrics might have to take a small hit because, you know, our, our pages aren't as pretty, right? And, and, and they're, they're measuring on prettiness, right? They, they've been doing NPS, uh, you know, surveys where they say, you know, what did you think of the look of the site or whatever? And maybe they, maybe they're not getting tens anymore. Maybe they're getting eights or sevens. Okay, but so what? <laughs> as long as, as long as we're getting tens on the, I could find what I needed, you know, in the time that I needed it. If you're interested in these sorts of ideas, I've published a book called Worldwide Waste. You can find out more at jerrymcgovern.com/slash w W W. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you'd like to be part of the conversational community, hop on over to thisishcd.com where you can join the Slack community and help shape future episodes and connect with other designers around the world. Or join the HCD newsletter where you can win books and get updates. Subscribe to our content on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and listen to any of our design podcasts such as Getting Started in Design, Bringing Design Closer with Jerry Scullion or Power of Ten with Andy Pullane or Decoding Culture with Dr John Curran, ProdPod with Adrian Tan and Ethnopod with Jay Hasbrook. Thanks for listening and see you next time.